But we understand what it means to be remade, right? Amen? In Ephesians, what Paul is wanting us to do is look to our past and say, here's who you were. This is what you were all about. And as you went through and as God began to mold you and you begin to become usable by him, he made you into something else, something beautiful. He remade you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he starts like this, and you. So he says, and, first of all, so it's a continuation of Ephesians 1. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And Paul would have understood the word dead. He's writing this from prison. We have to catch the word dead. Dead is a very serious, serious word. When you look at the word dead, it's not sick. It's not that you are struggling in the difficulty of this world or you're trying to make it through whatever your situation is. No, you were dead. We don't need help. We need resurrection from the dead. And if you don't know, you don't have Christ as your Savior, you're not missing something. You're dead. And God wants you to be alive. He wants you to experience his best. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, in which you once walked, According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We walked according to the course of this world. We know this course. This is a very basic course of life and living and moving on each day and just trying to get the paycheck and all those kinds of things. We understand the course of this world, and most people are on it. When we look a little deeper... And we see this, the firing process of finished pottery. We see God doing some really cool analogies with this, with this special sort of thing over here. He takes this humble, soft beginning into a new substance called ceramic. And ceramics are considered one of the strongest materials, almost considered like stone because of how it lasts for thousands of years, no matter the situation. Pieces of pottery, they're still pulling up, all because of the clay meeting the fire the clay going through the fire and becoming that hardened substance. The process is they take this pot and they put it into a kiln and they slowly bring up the temperature. If they bring up the temperature too fast, the water will turn to steam and burst the pot. So they have to do a really slow burn and it gets hotter and hotter and hotter until finally it gets to this less fragile state of permanent beauty. The similarities to our walk with God are uncanny. We grow up in a simple enough world with, you know, some harder than others, but we all sort of grow up in the same world. And as we face the slow burn of life, that slow grind of everyday living, that slow burn, our true characteristics start to rise to the surface. And we begin to see who we really are, what God has made us into. Or if we don't know God that well, what we have made ourselves into, right? God understands this process, but our understanding of it is what brings to the surface the beauty that he has remade inside of us. He goes on in verse 3 and says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. I recently wanted to take my son to a steak dinner, kind of have some man bonding time, eat with our hands. And I tell him about this steak, and I say, man, steak is so good. 
Man, sometimes they put a little blue cheese crumble and it's got this, it just juices flowing and you're like, oh, it's so good. And I'm sorry if you're hungry because it's almost lunch. I'm like, son, I want you to experience this amazing dinner. And he gets really excited about it. He's like, yeah, yeah, dad. All right. Well, about 20 minutes passes and he comes up to me and he says, dad, can I have a snack pack? And I go, son, you don't understand. If you have a snack pack, you're going to ruin this taste of the steak dinner, and you don't want to do that. It's amazing. But my son has kind of a problem with not being able to get things out of his mind. I know I'm the only one with a son like this, but he continues to ask over and over and over again. And I try and teach him. I tell him, son, only ask one time for things. But... Sadly, I'm not a very good parent, and he continues to ask, and he has it in his head and just like, snack pack, snack pack, snack pack, and he has to have the snack pack. Finally, I'm like, son, have the snack pack, but you are ruining something that is so much better, but have it. Take your snack pack. How often do we do this with our God? We tell God over and over what we want, the things of this world that we're so sure that we need right now. And we feel like the blessings that we're supposed to have are the blessings that we see others have around us. We keep naming off blessings that those around us have us, which is very subjective. Where you live, who you're looking at, all of it's going to begin to design in your head what, what that blessing should be from God. And God is saying, son, daughter, trust me. I have something that is so much better for you. It's a steak dinner. But we continue to tell him what the blessing should look like, the snack pack that we want right now. And so God does what I do with my son. And as he hears you begging for something, he says, okay, have the snack pack. And he gives it to us. A lot of times our God will give us the snack pack. Because we fail to wait for the steak dinner that he wants us to have. And those are the things, those are the desires of the flesh and of the mind that we are dead in those things. And our God wants us to be alive. He goes on in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, this love that he's speaking of here, we can find it all over the Bible. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a pretty intense love. The illustrations that we're using are very simple, but the love that we're talking about is not a simple thing. The reality of hell, we can find that in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, with the story of the rich man and Lazarus. In that story, you see the intensity of hell. You see this place that is lonely. It's this complete separation from everything that is good and God. And God doesn't want you to experience that in any way. He wants you never to be there. In John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Someone who would do this for you Someone who would send their son, they would send them and say, I have a purpose for you. And then every story in the Old Testament points to this moment in which there's going to be a Savior. And every story in the New Testament talks about this Savior. 
and had a plan from the beginning all the way to the end. We can see the end already. Someone who would do all of that and then say, you're my masterpiece. I have created you. I have designed you. Do you think that person, that God, would also have a plan for your life? Would actually say, not only have I done all this other stuff, but I also have a purpose of why you were here, each one of you, unique in your purpose for God. The steak dinner plan. Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in trespasses, again, dead, he made us alive together with Christ. So Christ died on that cross even when, when you were dead. Even when you didn't have it, he already did it for you. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches. He wants to bless you. The exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. You don't have to doubt that gift. You don't ever have to wonder, am I saved? If you have put your faith in Christ, you are saved. Philippians 1, 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is still working in you. He's still doing something with your life. Every moment of your life, you don't have to worry about being saved if you have him as your savior. You just have to let him continue to mold you to give you the best plan that he created you for. In verse 9, it says, not of works, least anyone should boast. This is not something you can earn. It is a gift. If a man could be saved by works, then Jesus, his prayer in Gethsemane, it was, it was unanswered. When he's there, the death of Christ, it wouldn't have been needed. He prays if there is any other way. And God's answer is no. You are the way. There wasn't, and if there was another way, then man could call himself the savior. If you could do enough work, you're your own savior. Galatians 2.21 tells us, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So we know that we have been given a gift, and we know that he's created us for purpose. And now what we have to understand that we have been given these cravings inside of us, and most of these cravings are good. They're, they're cravings for food, cravings for life, craving, cravings for wanting to be used beyond just the normal plan. And God supplied feelings for every craving within the boundaries of his godliness and his holiness. And meanwhile, Satan substitute feelings all the time. Substitute these feelings for every craving that is outside the boundaries of godliness and holiness. The snack pack plan. I if I said that right. The snack pack versus the steak plan. Both of them have been offered to you and you have a choice of which one you're going to take. And if we don't understand what God is offering to us, then we take the snack pack. And God says, even in the fire, as you are warming up, as you are stressed, as the temperature rises in your life, I am creating something beautiful out of that clay. Continue to give it to me. Trust me, and I will make you beautiful. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ, Jesus, 
for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This word, workmanship, we only find it in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And he's talking about in that chapter, God's creation. So we see it used for God's creation and we see it used for you. The workmanship of God, like he literally created you and designed you and you are his masterpiece. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. The works that we begin to do with our life is the workmanship of God. Works are the fruit, not the root. Works are the consequence, not the anecdote of our acceptance in Christ. We work because we are saved, not in order to earn it. Works demonstrate the reality of our faith. In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, it says a lot, but the last verse says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. When we begin to realize that we are a masterpiece created by God, then good works are going to begin to flow out of us. God is going to begin to do great things. We understand his gift. We understand how we were made. Now we have to begin to do those things. One of the, the great gifts out there, one of the ways to remember this often is, is the uh, Captain EO ride at Disneyland. Truly Michael Jackson's greatest gift to us. But all seriousness aside, if you look at this deeper, he comes from another world to show us this great gift. This is Michael Jackson we're talking about. Shows us this great gift to a world that is in the bondages of sin. There's all kinds of bondage going on. And so he comes with this gift. Do you see this forming at all? Okay. After a pretty intense dance battle, <laughs> Captain EO rises up to deliver this gift and set the captives free that were literally enchained by this sin. I call it sin. I don't know what they would have called it. But as he set these captives free, he delivers a new life to them, a new colorful life of steak dinners. I wonder where they got a story like that, right? I mean, that story, I'm laughing as I'm watching because I'm like, man, they just basically took the Bible and put it in Michael Jackson terms. But nevertheless, we know what this great gift is. We've been given it because we were remade by God when we accepted him as our Savior. And now we can do good works. We have to understand what good works are. Remember that these good works have formed in us because we are the workmanship of God. The good works are going to be his gift to others through our life. We have a responsibility to fulfill these good works, this joy of God to others. In your notes, I have six ways for you really to enhance and fulfill these good works. If you will, write these down as we go through. The first one there is confess and eliminate sin that holds us from God's best plan in our life. It begins within. You're not going to be able to do good works if you still have things in your life that you are struggling with, things that are causing you to sin. You have to confess and eliminate those things. As you confess them and you eliminate them, you begin to be able to do good works because you're taking away that stuff that is holding you back, the stuff that you know what it is. 
For some of you, it, I mean, it could be a lot of different things. Some of it's real easy to find. Others, it's just the busyness of life. You have to figure out and confess and eliminate those things that are keeping you from doing good works. The second one is be continually and unconditionally yielded to him, seeking his best. This is the one where you wake up and you say, God, what do you want to do with me today? I am yielding myself to you unconditionally. No matter what my schedule says I'm doing today, I am yielding continually and daily into your hands that you would do your best. I want your best plan. I want to stop taking the shortcut. Three, study the word of God to discern his will and then do it. You've probably heard this sermon a million times, but you need to be reading your Bible daily. You have to be in the Word. The Word is Christ. He's literally on the pages. And as you read it daily, it will come off the pages and begin to guide your life. As you start to say your situation of the day, verses will begin to pop up and guide you through that day. It's an amazing experience, but that only comes as you're washing yourself in the Word daily. Every day you're spending time in the words at some point and that word will become alive and you will see it and you will experience it like you've never experienced before. It's life-changing. Number four is spend time in prayer every day. This is the relationship with God. This again isn't new, but we should know better. Those of you in a relationship, you know that if you don't spend time together, you drift apart. Why would it be any different with our God? He wants a relationship, a daily relationship. So you are spending time through prayer daily talking to him. Just talk. You're in the car. Just talk. Just be like, God, traveling down 91, stuck in traffic again. Can't believe I live this way. It's really a long way home. I'm talking to you, God. You're creating that relationship, right? Amen? Number five, respond to opportunities for service. This is the one where I think people are waiting for some magical cloud to open up and say, this is why you've been created. And they're like, oh, the golden path shows up. I'm like, whew, that doesn't happen. I'm sorry. Maybe for some of you it has, and that's amazing. But for most people, you just need to jump in. Just respond when an opportunity is in front of you. And you'll see God sort of guide you to the best, but you have to respond first. So there's ways to jump in right now. You could talk to me after, and I could put you to work. I know that's what you were all hoping for. But literally, you, you just say, okay, I'm available. I know you need help here. I'm going to do it. And then as you respond to the little things, to those little moments, you're going to see more happen. You're going to see God sort of develop you and put you right where he wants you. Number six is cultivate the fellowship and counsel of other Christians. This is our C groups. C groups are incredibly important, mainly for this, the fellowship and counsel of other Christians. You get like-minded believers in the same room, and you begin to talk about what you're dealing with, what, what's coming off the page in the Bible, what God seems to be saying to you in your relationships, how the service opportunities are there. As all of those things begin to be talked about, you begin to develop more of your relationship with Christ and understand, oh, I see what God's doing. That is what that one's all about. That fellowship, that counsel. 
We have a bunch of you that jumped in, but if you haven't, join a C group because that one is so very important. Many times when we look at stuff like this, we're not sure where to start. We hear that we're remade. We hear that God has a plan for our life. And so we're like, okay, I'm ready. I want to do it. Now what? And the reality is the Bible over and over points us to these six things. These are the six things we see in every book of the Bible saying, do these things. If you will be faithful in these six, God will do bigger things. God will call you to something greater. But most of us struggle in these little things. We have to start here. Why do we do this? To glorify our God. He has remade us and we glorify him. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. A well-known philosopher, he found his son in the bathroom and he's cleaning up a floor that was flooded. The philosopher began to hypothesize what might have happened. I wonder what happened here and began to try and figure it out. When finally his son stopped him and said, Dad, this is not the time to philosophize. It's time to mop. Sometimes we get so caught up in talking about stuff, about Bible, about the church. We, we want to talk about who we are and how God made us. When sometimes we need to stop all of that and just do it. Just start and do it. Do the good works that come from fruit supplied by healthy roots. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Our God has purified us through the fire. He has taken us from the dust of the earth and created a masterpiece, a masterpiece that does good work. Are you zealous for good deeds? Are you zealous for God's best in your life? It's time to be zealous for God because he has remade you to be. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we are in awe that the creator of the universe, the one that knew time from the beginning all the way to the end, that has a grand master plan that we can read about, also took the time to create each and every one of us and designed us in a unique way and then called us your masterpiece. God, we are in awe of that. And we ask that you would help us to understand it better, that we would be used by you every single day. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Going back to the beginning of this sermon, I talked about being dead. If you don't have this God, this Savior in your life, you're not hurting, you're not sick, you're dead. And if you're in here and you say, yes, that is me. I feel dead and I want to be alive. I'm not going to pull you up front. I'm not going to do anything embarrassing. All I want you to do is take that first step with God and say, yes, pray for me. I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to be alive. I want the Savior in my life. I want you to quickly lift your hand up. Leave it up for a second. 
Amen. Amen. Anyone else quickly lift it up? Amen. Secondly, if you're in this room and you look at those six, those six things that we have been told to do in every chapter, in every book of this Bible, and you say, I don't do the six, and I need to, will you pray for me? I want you to lift your hand up and say, that's me. Pray for me. I need to do those six. Let's quickly lift it up. Anyone else? Amen. God, I pray for these that raise their hands. Lord, let this be a new day. And we are a new creature. God, use us and let us glorify you with boldness. Boldness of who you are as our Savior in our life. Thank you for this time and thank you for your word. It never returns void. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.